0: Welcome to Wismed On Call, a bi-weekly podcast from the Wisconsin Medical Society that looks at some of the top issues affecting patients and the practice of medicine in Wisconsin. I'm your host, Peter Welch, Vice President of Public Affairs, and joining me today is Dr. Gloria Halverson. Wisconsin physicians carry out the Society's mission to improve the health of the people of Wisconsin every day. At the same time, there are physicians whose efforts extend well beyond their day-to-day practice, making an even bigger impact on the lives of their patients, their communities, and the world. One of those physicians is Dr. Halverson, the Society's 2018 Physician Citizen of the Year. Dr. Halverson's achievements are notable for many reasons, including leadership in paving the way for women in medicine in the 1970s, and more recently, her efforts to help victims of sex trafficking. Dr. Halverson, it's a pleasure to have you here.
1: Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be with you. Ah.
0: So you've experienced many firsts in your career uh, breaking some barriers, including being the first married woman admitted to Marquette Medical School and the first women obstetrics gynecology resident at the Medical College of Wisconsin. What was that like?
1: Uh, Interesting, (laughs) (laughs) you might say. Um, I didn't do it trying to break any barriers. I did it because I felt called to medicine and that's what I wanted to do. and yes, Marquette had not ever taken a married woman before. Um, I have lots of stories <laughs> with more time than you have to tell you about experiences I had that, many of which today would be illegal, you know, in the way <laughs> people um, were treated. But but I survived it and um, went on and um, I'm sure that it uh, strengthened me in a lot of ways.
0: You persisted. So tell me a little bit about how you, you moved from you got out of medical school and went into practice and found your way into this issue of sex trafficking and tackling that really, really unfortunate, but serious issue. What, what was that path like? How did you land on that issue?
1: That was totally providential. It was not on my radar at all. Um, my husband and I have always enjoyed doing global health work and have been involved in many countries and working with various groups. I actually was a um, board member for the Christian Medical and Dental Association. And every few years, they would plan one of their meetings to be out of the country, and the board would stay another week to volunteer to do some medical work for some underserved um, people. And so I had nothing to do with it. I just went to a board meeting in Nicaragua, and we stayed for a week and worked at a rescue shelter called House of Hope and my heart was broken there.
0: Mm.
1: I um, was so appalled and my eyes were opened to a world that I had never seen before. I didn't realize it involved somewhere between 21 and 27 million people in the world, mostly women and children. And um, before we left, I said, I'll be back. And it just Mm. really changed the whole Projection of my life. I was just so moved by this and just felt, you know, to those who have much, much is required. We needed to give back um, and try to help with just this horrendous injustice.
0: So doing your work overseas, what what were some of the root causes that you identified as driving the sex trafficking issue?
1: Well, what drives sex trafficking is demand. But what gets in uh, some you know areas of human nature, and frankly, I think a lot of that is getting worse with Internet, pornography, mm-hmm. all of those things. Um, but in a lot of countries, it's different with trafficking in the United States versus trafficking overseas. In many of those areas, the key driver is poverty. Mm-hmm. I mean, it happens a lot in areas of war. It happens with gender discrimination in areas... Um, there's probably 15 or 20 different factors that lead to trafficking. But if I had a woman talk to me and, with, with her children around her saying, you have to understand I made some bad choices in my life and I had three children and I had no way left to feed them anymore. And the only thing left I could sell was my daughter. So I sold her so I could feed my sons and as a mom with kids, I, I can't wrap my head around that, but um, Unfortunately, a lot of the world is living that way yet.
0: It's clearly a complicated issue that has the socioeconomic factors and uh, you know, Tell me a little bit more about that.
1: Well, let me give you just an example of an interesting quote I saw When you talk about diseases like HIV, in areas that don't have HIV, they will have HIV, and where it's going to come through is through the sex trafficking road. Because men bring it in, they give it to these women, these women give it to other men who are passing through, and it starts to spread. And I read a very interesting editorial that said, if you want to stop HIV spread in the world, it's not by providing condoms. It's by providing food. Hmm. Because if we did away with poverty, women would not be trafficked or in prostitution themselves because they had no other way to feed their families.
0: Wow. So clearly the physician is an integral part of this. Tell me a little bit about how, how the physician plays into this.
1: Well, there's, you know, overseas, there's, there's such a lack of uh, health care for these people in low-resource countries already I'll just give you an example and then let me go later to the United States because we've got to take this home to our listeners and the way they can be involved. But for example, um, the youngest victim of sex trafficking that I dealt with as a gynecologist who had already been rescued was age 5. And in this country, the average age of entering into prostitution is age 12. And in our country, we're both a source country and a destination country. That is, women are brought in from other countries with a promise of jobs as a nanny or working in a restaurant, and then they are locked in a room and not fed and beaten up, and their passports taken and are trafficked. Um, but the main source in our country is our own teenagers. Mm. And... Um, Overseas, if if you see a girl who's been trafficked from age 7 or 9 or 10, we talk and learn in medical school here how you have an increased risk of HPV and cervical cancer if you've had multiple sexual partners and sex at a young age. So we think that a girl who first had sex at 16 and has had five partners, she's at high risk and we see abnormal pap smears. Well... What do you do then when you see a girl who's been sexually active since she's 9 or 10, and she's been forced to have 30 or 40 partners a day? Their cervical cancer rate is huge, and there's no help for them. And cervical cancer is the leading cause of death for women in most under-resourced countries. So, for example, we were able to set up a cervical cancer treatment program with um, early Treatment for abnormal Pap smears. We bring a pathologist. They do one-hour turnaround Pap smears. The um, National Pathology Group in the U.S. has a see-and-treat program that can be used. And uh, we have Leap machines, and we have cryo guns and colposcopes. We've screened over. We've had over a thousand people so far, and the impact has been huge. There's just so much you can do. The other thing is that. When you go, I lead a lot of short-term teams down. Um, We come back, and that means a lot to these people. And for us, it's a blessing because we see the change and growth that's happened in their lives, which almost seems impossible, but it it happens um, when these women are brought out. But just in you taking care of them, giving them eyeglasses, treating their cough, treating their parasites, pulling a tooth, Whatever the team is doing, they feel care, and they feel of worth. And these women don't feel valued. They don't know the love of parents. Um, They feel that they are worth nothing. And just coming in, they they tell us in Nicaragua now we are famous in the brothels (laughs) for when the medical teams are coming because they say these people will care about you. They will care for you. And uh, we have huge lines waiting in the morning to get a, a ticket so they can get on the bus we send to the brothels to get them to the, the uh, treatment center, which is at the rescue shelter because when you do things short-term overseas, we're more like the bait. Mm-hmm. We can't, in a week at a time, twice a year, change the healthcare system for Nicaragua, but we can um, introduce them to the other facilities that are on the ground and they didn't know about And every time we're there. Women change their lives and they move in and they start on a whole new road.
0: Wow, really admirable work. And, and clearly there's a lot of work to be done overseas, but what about here in Wisconsin? Tell us about the there state. There of- is
1: just as much for the physicians here to know about than the overseas work. Those are interesting stories. But you know, in Wisconsin, we think of it as over there, trafficking, mm-hmm. but trafficking has been found in every single county mm-hmm. in Wisconsin. So I guarantee you it's in your area if you're a physician practicing here in Wisconsin. There's a, I just showed in a lecture I gave an hour ago about a nice suburban home in uh, one of our counties, and in that home was a sex trafficking ring where women were being tortured and being mm-hmm. sold. Right, right next door, um, you know, to very reputable neighbors, and no one suspected. Yes, it's in the inner city of Milwaukee, but it's in all the suburbs, it's in the county, it's, it's in the rural areas, it's everywhere. And because health care is such an important component, these women don't get preventive care. These women don't get medical care early. It's so important that doctors are aware of this to help identify it and then also to treat the problems that
0: happen. So what can what message would you have for our physician members, for our listeners? What can they do as clinicians to, to help identify and turn the tide on this problem?
1: First, educate yourself and educate your hospital and your staff. Um, that's critical because there's, for example, uh, there's a person named Laura Letterer from... Indiana she did a study just a couple years ago that's now sort of the seminal study in this country on healthcare care needs of trafficked people. And she found that 86.7 percent of the women who had already been rescued had come into contact with a health care provider while they were being trafficked. And in not one of those situations did that interaction with the healthcare care provider lead to that woman's rescue from her captivity because it wasn't recognized. We need to know the warning signs. We need to know what the women um, look like, what their histories are like, what their needs are when we do the physical exam, what physical findings we might find. And importantly, after becoming aware, you need a protocol in your system because besides the health needs, it's a multifactorial problem. These people need education, they need life skill training, um, they need jobs, they need place to teens need a place to live, they need a place to go back to school and get an education, they need food, they need clothes, they need mental health care, they need addiction help, they need so much that you need to Assemble a team, and you need to do that before they walk in the door mm. when you don't know who who to call. You know one thing that's very simple let me give you the Polaris national hotline number it's eight 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 three seven three seven eight eight eight, and you can call them, and they will give you all the resources in your area and tell you what 's available, so you know who you can contact and what to do if that person comes in. That's also our reporting hotline. If you see someone at risk, if you have it on little pieces of paper in your bathrooms, in your offices, this woman can take it and if she feels ready, she can call that number and she'll get help. So there's just so much that we can do as healthcare providers.
0: I really appreciate you sharing that resource. Are there any other resources or or places that physicians or citizens can go to learn more about this or get resources to to help?
1: That'd be a place I'd start because they'll tell you about your community. Um, They also have a lot of resources. Um, There is a national group called HEAL. It's Health Education and Advocacy League. And um, that is for healthcare providers. I am part of that network. They give you a protocol kit to help you develop it. Every um, healthcare conference on trafficking, which is available and of which there are many in this country, are um, listed and um, new articles written. I get an email uh, from them several times a week with new resources that are available. There's very little research being done, and they have some research projects and people you can partner with. If you have a question, you can ask it, and this group will answer it for you, because they are the, the national experts in this area. So that's a very good resource to have. And it's, I believe, www.heal.org, www.heal, and you can look that up online. And that's a very good resource for healthcare providers.
0: So if, if a physician sees a patient, what, what sort of warning signs should they be looking for when somebody is in their office?
1: Well, there are whole lists for you that are available that you should know. And in fact, the United States Department of Health and Human Services puts out a a list of questions that you should ask that you can laminate and have in your emergency rooms or in your offices. But, for example, if someone comes in um, and they're not clean, they're not dressed appropriately uh, for the weather, very many of them have traumatic brain injuries from... um, physical abuse and they are not clear on where they are or what's happening, there's inconsistencies in their histories, Um, their age doesn't seem consistent with what they said it was. Those are all sorts of things that can be a tip-off for you. Um, In in your exam, you frequently find bruises or evidence of burns or rope marks or um, things like that one thing to watch out in particular and this is this is critical they come accompanied by someone and it may be the pimp um, or it could be a woman who's been in that pimp stable longer and is more trusted but someone comes along to make sure that this woman doesn't talk mm. sometimes if they're foreign they don't speak the language someone will come with them and they'll be the translator for you. They'll say, you know, I can translate because I speak the language. I'm their cousin. They'll frequently say, I'm their cousin, I'm their sister, I'm their uncle, I'm their father. And this woman won't say anything unless she feels safe and she is not safe with them in the room. So one of the first things you have to do when you're interviewing someone you suspect of being trafficked is get that person out of there. You may have to say, We have a clinic policy, and we um, can't have you in the room. You may say we have to take them for an x-ray or a lab test and get them away from there. You can be very creative, but you need to get that person alone, and you need to let them know that it is a safe place. I'm sure most of us can remember situations where we have someone in an exam room, we ask them a question, and the accompanying person answers. Mm -hmm. That's a concern. You have to watch out from that, and you need to, to get them alone to be able to try to help them.
0: Clearly a, a huge challenge, and a, and a huge and complex issue, and something that the physicians in Wisconsin and, and the world can, can help to tackle.
1: We can be key in this, in this process, and I think it's important because if we don't do it, it's not going to get done
0: been a pleasure talking to you. I'm really glad that the Society has had the opportunity to honor you as our Physician Citizen of I the Year. I am
1: very honored and humbled by that. There's uh, many, many people here who could get that award.
0: Well, and you've had a remarkable career, and I know you're not done yet, so I look That's forward right. to continuing to watch your work and, and help where we can. So Thank you very much, and this will wrap up our edition of WISMED On Call. If you like what you heard, please visit our website at www.wisconsinmedicalsociety.org and look for future episodes wherever you get your podcasts. If you've got suggestions or feedback, please send an email to communications at wismed.org. We'll be back in two weeks. Thanks for listening.